Welcome back to Hindsight the Podcast. I'm Lee Jones. Today, Eric and I will sit down with Roshan Briscoe to talk about his transition from shuffling papers as an admin clerk in the United States Army to stepping on stage and making people laugh in L.A. Let's get to it. Welcome, Rashawn. Oh, thank you, thank you, man. Thank you for inviting me to come on. Let's get into it. Right, right. So first off, I'd like to thank you, Rashawn, for having me on one of your episodes. It was a blast going back, looking back, and it kind of ties in with this one, Hindsight, right? We're just looking back at those days when we were over in Iraq running around in the sand. Oh, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot, a lot of people enjoy that episode. I had a few <laughs> people tell me that one was their favorite so far. I definitely had a lot of fun. And Eric, just so you know, Briscoe taught me a lot on this on this podcast thing and gave me a few tips and uh, pointed me in the right direction on a few things. So I definitely want to say thank you for that. Oh yeah, we gotta we gotta learn and grow together. I'm still a baby myself, but hey, we're both crawling. We'll be running soon. When I first met you, it was it was when we were in Maryland and right before we went to Iraq. Right. But before that, like I don't I don't really know your military history. I know that part of it. So. Just walk us through, when, when did you come in the, in the Army? Did you come in the active duty reserves? How did that work? Um, well, I came into the reserves. It's funny. Uh, you said you don't know my military history before that. That's kind of the beginning of my military <laughs> because um, I graduated 2002. I remember it was May 5th, 2002. I was in basic training two, three days after that. I do my basic in AIT, come home. And I had like maybe four or five months at my home unit. The 203rd where we met was my home unit. And you know, we got mobilization orders that February. So I hadn't even been in a year. So it's funny because I actually, that was the beginning of my reserve career because I was active duty and I went to Bosnia and I went to some other places and then I was just fed up because I was stationed at Fort Drum. And I was like, I can't do this any any longer right yeah, so I, I i got out of active duty i went to agr active guard reserve and i went to uh went to maryland to aberdeen and i think i got there in january and february the fourth i believe it was is when we got activation orders to go to iraq so that was pretty crappy but uh but met some good friends there oh yeah so many dope friends yo i finally got a watts number <laughs> Oh, did you? Yeah, he reappeared on social media, and I was just like, hey, I ain't heard from you. What's your phone number? <laughs> so Watt, Watt has a he, – he was over in Iraq with us as well, Eric. And his son what, – what team does he play for? Plays for Providence. Plays for Providence, and he is a beast. Right? So, so me and Rashawn during the episode, we were just talking about, like – matter of fact, I'm going to show you some clips of him. Uh, a little later on, Eric, and you'll be like, uh, okay, and you'll probably start watching him too. He's a big, he's a big boy, and, yeah. and he does a thing. So, man, uh, you man know, I'm a big boys. Jayhawks fan. What's that? Jayhawk. Jayhawks. <laughs> are you are you from Kansas? No, you know that's where I spent most of my career was out at Fort Riley and Leavenworth. Oh, okay, okay. I just became a fan. I guess I guess we could accept that. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Briscoe, uh, tell us about your military uh, service and, and what you did uh, while you were in the army. Uh, well, I mean, the two hundred third is a uh, uh, intelligence uh, unit. Uh, it's actually the only intelligence unit of its kind in the whole armed forces. 
by my MOS was like administration, but I worked in operations. So uh, they had me doing like uh, Intel analyst work uh, while we was over there because there's really nothing for an administrator to do in operations. And they were just like, yo, you just not going to sit around here and do nothing. <laughs> I was an infantryman back then. So I joined in 2004 and okay. then uh, went over to Iraq in 06, 07 for my first deployment. So I say, uh, I, say, I say nice, but not really, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, no, we get it. We get it. Yeah. So um I did that and came back. I almost got involuntarily transferred two more times uh while I was there. There was one time, it was like I was like one day from shipping. And they was just like, never mind, we don't need you. I'm like, uh-huh. man, stop playing with me like this. And then, well, um, hold, hold on, involuntary transferred from where to where? From the 203rd, I was almost involuntary transferred from the 203rd to two different units. One of them was like a male unit going to like Iraq. And I'm just like, oh my God. Cause, um, it was like we wasn't even back like a couple of months. And, uh, the commander's calling me to come up to the unit, whatever, talking about you being, I'm like, we just came back. <laughs> so, so those deployments, uh, never happened for me. Uh, then I switched to like a chemical unit in Delaware, my home state. Um, I deployed overseas with um, them. But like in between that, I did a bunch of like a temporary duty, Fort Lewis McCord, Fort Dix, Fort McCoy, Wisconsin, some other places. Oh, man, oh, that all sounds horrible places. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, no, I, I actually really dig Fort Lewis McCord. Um, you know, Washington State's kind of like, um, I don't know, dreary. It's always mm-hmm. like overcasty or whatever, but um, Tacoma's like a cool little town. Yeah, yeah, and Seattle, Seattle's pretty dope too. I think that's when I first learned. Uh, a lot of people don't know there's like a van, like people know Vancouver, Canada, but a lot of people don't know there's like a Vancouver side in the United States. And that's like when I first learned that. I thought that was pretty cool. America, now we actually had a unit that we used to uh, under our command up in up in uh, Fort Lewis McCord. And so we used to go out there, uh, do our job, and then go out and do some photography as well while we were out there. So definitely love the area. Eric, I don't know if you were there. No, you weren't there when I went up to Space Needle, were you? No. Yeah. You ever go to Space Needle, Rashawn? No, 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 no. Um, I kind of regret never going. I never yeah. did that. And I never went to Mount Rainier. I saw Mount Rainier from the airplane. Yeah, and I, I felt like I was, I was satisfied with that, with yeah. that result. I did want to go out there too, and I, I kind of do regret not going to Rainier, but I didn't. So, but I did do the Space Needle because every sci-fi movie that I look at, that damn thing falls down. If you <laughs> see a sci-fi movie in Seattle, best believe the Space Needle's falling down. So yeah. I wanted to experience that, not falling down, but just going up in there. I, I, it's, it's, I wonder if anybody ever uses like a spaceship in like a movie or something. I'm no. sure. I don't no. know. I'm thinking about my movie, the, my movie history trivia. I don't believe yeah. they, I don't believe that they did. <laughs> yeah, because I know they did that one scene that one time in uh, Men in Black. Men in, Men in Black. In, yeah. in New York, they had like these students like, oh, those are like out of commission uh, spaceships. Exactly. That, that was the first thing I thought about was that one. <laughs> so, so when did, why did you get out of military? When did you get out? Your contract was up or how did that work? Yeah, well, my um, my contract was expiring like a couple years before I was supposed to ETS. I had decided, I was like, you know what, man? Um, I had seen like a USO show and um, like the people were acting and stuff like that. And I, I remembered back 
like in middle school when I would do the black history plays every month and things like that. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I used to do that. I remember it used to be fun and I like better than all these dudes. Not that I was like, you know what? I think that's what I'm going to do. So when my time came with ETS, I just chose not to reenlist much to a few sergeants dismay because yeah. they did, they did their damnedest to keep me in. But I was like, nah, cause you know, with like my MOS, people always trying to send me places yeah. and that would make it really difficult for me to put a hundred percent into doing this thing. Cause if you're going to pursue a career in entertainment, you need to be, you need to be all in or not at all. Yeah, that, that's no doubt. And and I think, you know, with a lot of transition, you have to be all in, but I can't imagine the entertainment business. I mean, you're pretty much an entrepreneur of your own life, right? And exactly, you know, you've got to exactly. attack it. Exactly. Plus, I didn't want to be put in position, let's say, you know, I book something really big and then I need to get permission from the military to go do the job. And it's completely up to their discretion. They could say no, mm-hmm. you know, and then I would have to turn down that opportunity. I'm like, I just didn't want to put myself. So what position. was what was your mentality at the time of transitioning? Did you just cut all ties, cut the cord, or was it a process for you? Um, I don't think it's really much of the process. Like the the last, it's so funny. The last tour I um, went on, they was like, because things had changed, policies had changed by then, and they was like, oh, because you went during this time, you don't actually have to go with us. And then I decided I was like, okay, and I was going to stay home. Then I was like, no, because I found out that the unit was they were going to run a base camp in Kuwait even though there's always like the risk of orders changing while you in the air. And then, you know, you're going across the burn to Iraq, but I decided to go. We stayed in Kuwait the whole time. And I did that deployment just so I can have some money. Cause the moment I got back, I came out to LA and I had started taking like some acting classes and things like that. So, so I know most actors or, or whatever you hear the stories of how they just came out to LA with with ten dollars in their pocket or something like that. How, did you did you make a plan? Did you have a checklist on what you needed to do to come out to LA to, to start pursuing the entertainment career? What like what was your, what was that process about? How did you do that? Um, well, no, I mean I still had like a year or two left, right. and um, when I came out to LA, you know, it wasn't like I know a lot of people only come out with like a limited money. Um, you know, I was in Kuwait for a whole year. I'm a single man with no mortgage. Or whatever car paid off so i was just stacking money and i had like man i had like five months of leave built up that they forced me to take so the whole time uh, when i came out here the first time uh, i was still getting active duty checks whatever and every all the friends that i met who were like like broke struggling actors they was like where are you getting all this money from you don't even work i'm like don't even worry about that <laughs> don't even worry about that you know so i mean that was nice but what ended up happening was because I was taking uh, acting classes at like a private studio. And uh, my grandmother's a little bit annoyed that I just came back from Kuwait after like a whole year. And then I run off half all the way across the country uh, to LA. And I was playing around with the idea of getting like a college degree because I was actually the first person in my immediate family to graduate with a college degree. And when I decided that I was going to do that, I was like, well, I'm going to go back to the East Coast, somewhere close to home, so my grandmother can have me for like at least a few more years. And that's what I did. I ended up going to a liberal arts college in New Jersey. Man, that's dope. So 
take us back to the to that USO show that you kind of saw that that really sparked that interest to make you take that next leap. I mean, yeah. who was it? What happened? I mean, I don't even remember like who it was. It was it was it was kind of like a variety, like kind of like improv or sketch show type of thing. And I just remember like thinking like these guys aren't that funny, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'm like, and I'm like, you know, but I was seeing, I was like, but they, they're working. You know, they got this gig, they're traveling the country, they're going to all these, you know, places. I'm like, if they can do it, I know I sure can. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And I know that this might sound like a little arrogant, but I'm like, these guys really aren't that talented. And I remember me having like a little bit of talent. You see the improv. So did that spur your interest in being an improv? You know, following that or being an, an actor in a drama or, or what were you looking towards? Well, in my mind, I wasn't thinking about like improv or even comedy. You know, I was thinking I was going to because uh, I had like the misconception that if I mm-hmm. did, if I started out in comedy, nobody would take me serious as like a dramatic actor, which really just, you know, isn't true. Mm-hmm. But, at the, you know, uh, at the time I was just like, nah, like I'm, a ser- I'm an actor, you know, I want to be taken <laughs> serious. Right, right. <laughs> uh, so... I really didn't do comedy for like a while, but when I started, when I stopped fighting it, uh, that's actually when things started like opening up for me because, you know, I became more of my authentic self. So, right. So I remember looking at your uh, Snapchat and a little bit on Facebook, you, you were always grinding and going to these auditions. Like how did, how did that shape you? Like, was it, how did that prepare you, you know, each audition? You know, some were yeses, some were noes, right? So what did you take from those those experiences? So, I mean, the reality of the business is, and I don't really care who you are, mm-hmm. they're mostly noes with some yeses in between. They say on average for an actor who actually has, who actually auditions well, they'll go on between like 20, 30 auditions to get one booking. And when you're starting out, there's a lot of actors who don't even get 20 auditions in a year. So I was really blessed to have the team that I have because like at my height, like I was averaging like 10, 12 auditions a month. So, and, and, and it's a, and it's a practice. A lot of people don't realize when you go like the acting class, you learn like the craft auditioning is its own separate skill. You can be like fantastic. Like once you book the job, you know, you have the craft. But to get the job, you have to audition. And there's a lot of people who are fantastic actors. I mean, just crazy, stupid, talented. Cannot audition to save their life. That's funny. I never even thought of it like that. I guess it's it's basically, well, not a resume, but an interview. You know, same interview if you go into a job. If you blow the interview, you're not going to get to the job, right? But an audition is kind of funny. Because um, there's, there's a lot of factors that might determine... If you get the role that are out of your control, I mean, you can go there and be, you know, Marlon Brando and Sidney Portier and give the best performance in the history of performances and not get the job because, you know, you're six inches taller than the guy you're going to play next to. And that might look weird. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, there's I mean, there's so many reasons why you wouldn't book the job. You know, you just have to go present what you do like it's funny like when you go to audition you know a lot of actors especially starting out they think that their job is to book the job it's not 
It's really just to present your best self. This is what I do. You either want it or you don't for this project. You don't audition to book the job. You audition to like build the relationship mm-hmm. or whatever for like the next audition, you know, for like the next job so that they get to know you. So you, you look very familiar, like another. <laughs> so, so explain your hashtag. No. I love it. Oh, that's what we're doing? Hashtag, <laughs> hashtag not Keenan. Yeah, so um, it, you know, it's funny because, you know, I have like, I'm rocking like my beard now and it's got like, I got like a couple grays, so I'm like silver fox in it and I'm really digging it. But um, I mean, like my core look is still with the shaved face and for the life of me, I don't understand it. But a lot of people think I look like Keenan Thompson uh, from SNL fame, uh, you know, you know, from, <laughs> you know, you know, you know what I think it is. I just think, I think we have, cause we're two very different performers. I just think we have like a very similar big energy and, you know, we're like cuddly guys with big smiles. So yeah, man, um, you got to use it. It's so funny when it first like started happening, people making that correlation. I hated it. It was something that like made me give you the side eye. You're like, shut up. <laughs> like, like I didn't like that distinction at all. Then I was watching a movie with Chiwetel Ejiofor. It was called Red Belt. It's about like Brazilian jujitsu and stuff. And there was one scene where I guess um, the character that he was working with, I guess she had been like a victim of like some type of an assault on her by like a man. So she was really like skittish to be touched. And uh, the lesson that he had in like that scene, he gave her like a little brief um, uh, like jujitsu lesson. He was just like, there's no situation that you cannot escape or turn to your advantage. And that kind of resonated with me, even though that I didn't like this whole Keenan correlation. I was like, that's something I can use. And that's when I came up with like a branding tagline. Uh, no, I'm not Keenan, but I do love a good burger. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I was rolling when I read your bio. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I felt like that tells people, it's like, okay, this guy's funny. And then I'll also ask the question, so if he's not Keenan, who is he? Exactly. Make him dig deeper. Him dig mm-hmm. deeper. So who was your uh, mentor in the, in, in the uh, entertainment industry growing up? Like, who did I look up to? Yes. Oh, man. I don't know. Well, Denzel Washington is my favorite actor, but I'm not sure I had like somebody I really wanted to um, emulate or be like. Um, but Denzel's like my favorite. I think he's one of like the last like pure movie stars, like especially like from his era that I like do a movie and it'll still do well, uh, make its money and be successful. Because you look at a lot of those other guys from his era, like Tom Hanks and Adam Sandler, you know, they'll do okay, but they're not kings like how they were. You know, Denzel, whenever he does a movie, he's kind of still Make does its numbers. Yeah. <laughs> what made you finally make that transition from, you know, just being on the screen to just comedy stand-up and, you know, being in front of people? Um, well, people have been trying to get me to try to do stand-up for years, and I was so resolved, I'm like, no, that's not for me. I'm not that kind of funny. I didn't I didn't have the confidence to think that I could like write jokes and then stand on the stage and tell them, which is why I kind of did like improv and sketch because I always felt like my funny was more like spur of the moment 
we'd be in a situation with friends or something, somebody would say something, then I would respond with something crazy off the wall. People would laugh. A couple years ago, uh-huh. I actually, um, I got sick. I had caught like pneumonia. Um, I was supposed to film this commercial and I felt like I had caught pneumonia. I was like, well, let me go to the doctor. Let me go to the hospital and get some antibiotics. And by the time they kick in, I'll be uh, cool to do the commercial. And so I went to the ER and the uh, doctor in the ER is like, yeah, um, there's something going on. We're not sure what it is. We're going to admit you. And I ended up staying there for 12 days and coming to the realization that I have a chronic pulmonary disease. When I had got out, you know, I was still kind of like recovering and um, I was sitting around not being creative because um, I took like a hiatus from auditioning and stuff, losing my mind. And then I remember, um, this is my favorite stand-up comedian right now. Uh, it was a special on Netflix by Joe Coy, a Filipino-American stand-up. And I had never even heard of Joe Coy before this, but it was a special coming in hot. And um, I had put it on just on a whim. But I, was do- I remember I was doing something else on my laptop because uh, it was like a Netflix special. And then I remember he has this bit about like a hula dancer. And I remember it making me laugh out loud. And I was just like, wait a minute, who is this guy? I was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Bring that back, DJ. I need this from the top, you know? And it was actually watching that special for some reason gave me the desire. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna try to do while I'm standing up while I'm still like, you know, taking the months to focus on my health you know, get in the best shape I possibly can. So for a few months while I'm still at home recovering and stuff, um, I'm just writing jokes. And then that summer, cause this happened like in the spring, that summer, you know, I started going to like open mics and um, from from there, it was just like, yo, like I, I gotta do this. How's it feel to just get up on the stage in front of people and, and try to make them laugh? Yeah, you know, well, I mean, because, you know, I come from a theater background. I have, like, a bachelor's in theater. So I'm not, I'm no stranger to performing in front of people. Man, well, but it, it's hard to explain. It's, like, it's different. So, like, when you're standing on the stage and you tell, like, a joke that, like, really, really lands. And then you see, like, them kind of do that, like, little double over in laughter. You know, I mean, I mean, you feel like a god. You know, like, like when, when, when the whole room is filled with laughter yeah. and everybody's just like, and like you really have their attention. I mean, uh, it's, it's almost indescribable, man. Well, how does it feel when you bomb? You know what? I actually, and you don't know, say you, and don't say you haven't felt that before. <laughs> no, I, not, not, no, yeah. I haven't. No, I haven't, but wow. I'm no, no, no. But listen, 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 you know, I haven't been doing it long enough. All comedians bomb. Um, it's part of the process because I had only been doing, as far as like comedy, I had only been doing stand up for like a little bit over the year before coronavirus hit. Right. Um, mm. So outside of like a lot of open mics, I only did like a, a few shows, and they all went like really well. But um, I haven't, I haven't performed in front of an audience that like isn't my audience. And but you know what, I want to bomb. You know, because I need that experience to learn from and grow. Because, um, I mean, I've seen people bomb, like even like at open mics. And man, it's there's nothing louder than a silent room full of people. 
Yeah, a silent room full of people who are supposed to be laughing. And it gets awkward really fucking quick. I'm sorry. Because it must. Yeah, and and it's so funny because this open, I'm sorry, but this open mic was like in the back of like a bar, you know? And it was like so silent. I swear, like, I could hear people like opening their car doors in the parking lot. Oh, Lord. Like, I mean, it was like bad. But you know what? He owned it. I loved it. Uh, it was going so bad for him because uh, he only had like five minutes. And then he asked the host, he was like, how much time do I have? He's like, you have like two and a half minutes. And then he paused. He's like, oh, snap. I still have all this time. Then he's just like, well, I'm not leaving. And everybody's like, yeah. How did, how did his remaining two and a half minutes go? <laughs> um, It got better because, you know, I guess he, I guess he realized it can't go no worse than that. And he just kind of started talking. You know, he did like some crowd work. You know, but no, like I need that experience of bombing. Um, I, I need it badly. You know, um, I haven't been heckled yet either. You know, and it's so funny, even though like we as comedians, like we tell jokes, it's still funny people who will be in the audience or whatever. Right. And it's no guarantee. Like I've seen like clips of people who didn't know how to control a heckler and got absolutely shredded, had them take over the show. So I mean, these are things I all, I, I'm not afraid to like experience that I want to. It's not that I'm so good. It's just, um, I haven't been performing enough live shows yet to experience yeah, it, it. It's definitely an art. And you know, the feeling of laughter, uh, is probably the best feeling for any person, uh, you know, imaginable, but we're going on a year now of this pandemic. How has your industry, uh, been affected and how have you had to just personally shift. Right. So, you know, as far as acting, um, I haven't been auditioning because, you know, I have a chronic pulmonary uh, disease, mm-hmm. which is serious, you know. So if I catch coronavirus, it's probably going to be really, really bad for me, you right. know. So, you know, um, I don't I don't go around and like mix with like large crowds and groups of people. And, you know, there's hundreds of people on set. Whatever. Right. Plus, you know, they have the stories of crew members and stuff getting coronavirus and like, listen, buddy, you're not about to kill me. (laughs) You know, this will end one day. And when it does, I'll be back in these streets. But as far as like stand up, it's kind of like putting me in the pickle, too, because, um, you know, comedy clubs closed. So people started doing open mics and comedy shows on Zoom. And I haven't really watched any yet, but from... Some of my other comedian friends who are doing them, uh, if you can find like the right ones, they can be kind of good. And I have, I mean, I have a ton of material that I still need to work out that I didn't get a chance to work out before, like almost two hours worth of material. And if I can even like, even if just like a third of that is good, you know, I'd be straight. But uh, I'm not, I'm not really sold on the the Zoom mic yet because for me, it's about you know, feeling the energy of the people. Mm-hmm. That's like a, such a crucial part of me, like building my sets and stuff. But, I, you know, I'm getting, I'm inching closer and closer to like trying it and experience it because I mean, I got, I got things to do. Uh, I actually plan to um, release a couple like comedy albums, but not like full albums. You know how like back in the day, uh, when a new emerging like music artist, they'll drop like an EP or a mm-hmm. mixtape or something like that, short little like snippet. I was like, how come nobody does that 
for comedy albums. I might not be able to do like a whole like 30 minutes or an hour. But I'm like, yo, I can do eight. Right. I can do, you know what I mean? I can do 12. Why can't I, why can't I make an album, a comedy album that's eight or 12 minutes or whatever, uploaded digitally online to like grow my fan base and Dude. reach an audience that I might not have. This is absolutely the time to start thinking about that. And you're already thinking about it, but actually putting it in play uh, because you got a lot of uh, fans and a lot of people who are starving for entertainment, right? And if you can reach them the way you can reach them, you know, this is a different way. It could be something that, that transform later on down the road too and, and become a thing. Yeah. And I was like, man, I think I got it like all plain, you know, they're going to be like conceptual, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, depending on how well they do, I like, you know, I can actually combine them to do like a 20 or 30 minute set later down the road. Oh yeah, for sure. But you know, now we're, we're in a time, I think this past year, everybody's been at home. You know, and we've just been eating up everything on Netflix or Hulu, you know, every kind of streaming device out there. So we're begging for some some new content. What are you hoping for for 2021 and, and uh, how do you want to see it all kind of play out? It would be nice if I can go back outside. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Without, uh, without worrying about my lungs being completely destroyed yes, or what's sir. left of them. Um, um, cause you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm itching to like get back on that stage, but you know, I've just been like writing more. Um, I'm still taking like, um, you know, like acting classes and stuff, uh, you know, like via like zoom, uh, because you have to always stay training, even like the big, big stars, you know, mm -hmm. they'll bring acting coaches on set, you know, it might not be there like the whole time on set, but maybe for like a specific scene, you know, they'll have like a coach like those guys aren't without training continuing to invest in themselves and their craft. So yeah. It, yeah. It's like, it's like being an athlete, you know, LeBron James was always a phenom. Yeah. He still got to go to practice and yeah. get better. Mm -hmm. You know, it's yeah. the same. It's the, um, it's the same with us, but you know, I really, um, you know, I want to make my mark. I want to, I want to do like sitcom, like that you're like, like the old school, like three camera, situational comedy and they're starting to kind of make a comeback you know uh because for a while they got away from like you know the three camera sitcom doing like single camera comedy you know so like yes. like you know like the shows like family matters full house mm -hmm. though those were like the, the multi-cam you know and replaced by shows like community the office which were single camera so now i know we talked about what you plan to do and what 2021 hopes to look like but right now you just started we mentioned it a little earlier you started your podcast Talk, tell us a little bit about that how did you get the uh motivation or the inspiration uh to start the podcast um again it was kind of like you know how when i started stand up sitting around not being creative losing my mind I, like i have to do something creative you know i'm like this is nuts you know and it's not like uh you know i can go outside you know, like with friends and do like other things. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm like, so this is something I can do for my home. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to start like a podcast. And I toiled over for like a few months because I was like, you know, I didn't know what to do or what to talk about. And um, then finally I decided, I was like, you know what? I don't need to know. I can figure it out as I go. 
And somebody was just like, well, just talk. Like, give your opinions on stuff. And I was like, you know what? I can do that. You know? And I was like, you know what? Instead of just being by myself, I'll just invite friends and other people. And we'll just, like, talk like we're friends, you know, about different stuff that's yeah. happening in the news or pop culture, you know, or society in general. And then I came up, because the podcast is called uh, No One Asked You. <laughs> and and it kind of came to me, it's like, well, a lot of times, especially on the internet, when you chime in on something and give your opinion, and somebody don't like it or it goes counter to what they believe, then, you know, people are always like, well, no one asked you anyway. Exactly. <laughs> I'm trying to look because I'm trying to I'm trying to look up the exact text messages we had back and forth because I know how, how did that work because I know I said hey I'm about to do a podcast and you was like I already did a podcast or something yeah, <laughs> yeah 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 I was like I, was like, I just oh, no, thought no, it here you go you said ha 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 I was going to invite you to talk on my podcast about almost the same thing let's do it so <laughs> and the reason why I bring that up is because a lot of times um you do need inspiration, right? Because you'll get stuck in planning mode. And you just spoke to it so eloquently just a second ago about how people are just like, just do it, right? You'll figure it out down the road, but just get started. And so I appreciate you for helping Eric and I. You know, you, you like I said earlier, you gave a lot of, um, you pointed us in the right direction on a lot of things that you had already learned. And I right. definitely appreciate that input because it helped me to, uh, stop doing a lot of um, um, looking over stuff and trying to figure stuff out and just do it, right? And the yeah. last thing was just, I'm going to post, well, Eric and I, we're going to post uh, a podcast on February the 12th or the 9th or whatever day it was, period. That's it. That's the day. And um, and and once again, like I said, I appreciate that inspiration. Oh, yeah, no problem. See, like my big thing is I believe and community um we have to you know we have to grow together i believe that you know you have to celebrate your friends wins like they're your wins and you know our strength is in community so i believe i'm like yo share your resources there's enough for all of us you know and with the sharing information you know you learn things you might not have learned you know that'll help you get to like the next rung on the ladder you know, we can right. climb it. We can, we can climb it together. You know, exactly. you know, if somebody slip and fall, the guy's right there. He got you to hold you up, That's pull it. you back. And we so. all, we definitely already made that commitment. So <laughs> there that is. Hey, but but real quick, if if you only could give one piece of advice for someone who was trying to pursue, or so not try, but someone who was pursuing entertainment or even stand up comedy, whichever one you choose. Um, to to give that advice, what would you tell them? Um, uh, you can do two if you need to, but <laughs> yeah. Well, um, well, um, as far as stand up, I would say um, you need to get on stage as much as possible. So, you know, as far I like 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 for acting and stuff, I believe in like training is skill sets. You learn, and they have like stand-up comedy classes too. Even though there's like a huge stigma for people who take stand-up comedy classes, they're essentially like workshops. Almost the the biggest thing about stand-up comedy is that the education is experiential. Um, you have to learn in real time by doing. 
So if you're not getting on stage as much as you can, you're really doing yourself as a disservice. Because you know they say, oh, it takes 10,000 hours to like master something. Although, I mean, I get that. I get that whole analogy. You know, but it doesn't take everybody ten thousand hours. Some people are just more gifted than others. <laughs> in reality, you know, oh, no, what I mean? that's right. You know, for, you know, it might take one person twenty thousand hours and another person five. Right. You know. Right. Right. You know, because we're all, you know, we're all different. But I mean, you still got to put in like the time. And when you're first starting out, especially doing like open mics and stuff, you're only going to get three or five minutes. So if you're only going up once a week, you know, you're not. You're not doing enough for you to actually grow, you know, in your in your craft. Like before coronavirus hit, I was on stage every day doing like, um, I mean, I'll be working on like the same kind of sets, but, you know, I'm at open mics, but I would do like 20 minutes uh, of time every day, you know? So for some, like some of the people that I was like coming up with, you know, who were going like different mics, but weren't getting up every day my growth was exponential to theirs. Whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh man, like, you know, your set's really coming along. Like you really building that out. I'm like, yeah. Cause I'm up every day. Tell us how you feel right before you go on stage. Do you have a routine? Uh, <laughs> um, well, no, I don't have a, like a routine. Um, yet I just, um, uh, I try to be kind to myself. Uh, let myself know uh, whatever whatever is going to happen is going to happen, um, good or bad. Um, I can't control it. Just uh, go out there, do my best, uh, and then, you know, it'll end. And then I'll have another day. I like that. I just be I love kind, that. kind to myself. <laughs> like, yeah, never, yeah, yeah, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. I just think like you know, and this is like a message for everybody out there. It doesn't matter uh, what you do. Like we we often fill ourselves with um, this perceived narrative, you know, based on whatever shit we've been through. Um, like some people can't take compliments. Like, oh man, you're so good. They have this negative perceived, you know, narrative about themselves, which could be limiting something that you can like hold you back. You know, uh, I really believe in the practice of being kind and gentle with yourself, uh, not necessarily feeding in to like the negative narratives that we often create for ourselves and just let it happen. And, you know, especially when you're first starting out doing something, normally when you first starting out doing something, you're not that good at it. You have to do it for a while until you, you know, develop the experience, the confidence and the skill. That's great. That's deep. You know, I would like to to identify or, or know, you know, what skills did you learn in the army that that you're still using today? What skills? Oh, uh, <laughs> that's that's easy. The ability to be adaptable because things Bam. change. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and anybody who ever served in the military. I remember the, um, I think it was the deployment we went on. Remember we was like supposed to be, uh, we was like packing all of our gear to go by plane. And then once we did that, the next day it was like, no, it's going by ship. So we had to unpack it, <laughs> oh, get it all yeah. ready to go by ship. Yeah, and then yeah. the day after that, it was like, nope, it's going by plane again. I'm like, come on. And then, and then we left and I think our stuff showed up like two or three months later. 
Right. So it, it, it took forever for us. We were just sitting there actually doing nothing, just waiting on our stuff to get there. But right, we because we kept unpacking it for one way, then repacking it for another way, and then repacking it the way we had it before. Uh, we did that like four or five times, and we just sitting around like, "Yo, this is stupid." It absolutely was, but adaptable. That is definitely. I should maybe I should have said that. What advice or not advice, but what skill? Do you use now? I'll, I'll save that for the next interview and see if the uh, next person comes up with the same answer. Mm, okay. Because that's definitely a trait that you need in this world. Period. Yeah. You know. Yeah, because like you know, no matter how much you plan, like things probably even with all the contingencies that you can make up, things probably aren't going to go a hundred percent as you planned it. That's like really, really rare. Right. So you need to be able. To um, when there's like a fork in the road or a roadblock, uh, be comfortable and confident enough to know how to pivot and take a new direction that you maybe you wasn't expecting to take. <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like, that's it. There it is. Right. So, it's a wrap. That's a good, good way to wrap it up, man. I really, truly appreciate you coming on, and uh, uh, I'm be I'm, I'm available if you want to do another podcast down the road. Oh, 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 no. I was yeah, definitely, to, I, definitely. I was, I was listening to, to some of your other episodes in uh, Men's Sensitivity and and all those. They're, they're really good. Um, so oh, thank I want to go on and talk about, I want to talk about something and not just reminiscing about what we did. You get what I'm saying? So, oh, no, no, no. I definitely have. And Eric, you, you want to come on? Y'all can come on together if you want. Hey, I'm down. That sounds yeah, good. Yeah. That sounds good. We'll set it up. Yeah, definitely, but, uh, definitely. Got an amazing webpage, website page. Oh, thank you, thank you. Designed it myself. I'm gonna talk to you about that too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you know, you can reach me via my website, uh, RoshanBriscoeOfficial.com. I hate to say this, but um, I'm Googleable. So, you know, if you Google Roshan Briscoe, uh, most of the links at the top are going to be me, Instagram. Nice. Um, IMDB, uh, my website, uh, things like that. You can find me on Instagram at it's Roshan B, one word, I-T-S, Roshan B, on um, Instagram and Twitter. Um, also, um, my podcast um, is through Anchor, uh, Nobody Ask You Pod. Um, but if you search Nobody Ask You on like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, yeah. you should be able to... Um, find the brother that looks like Keenan. <laughs> and, uh, I'll definitely put all those links uh, in there as well so they can search it on the uh, on the podcast notes. Yeah, no all doubt, right. no doubt. Any final words for all the listeners? Man, this has been great. It's really been great. I love talking to this guy, Eric. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, he is remarkable. I can't wait to hear some more of your podcast and, and uh, turn on Netflix and see you doing a stand-up. Oh, man, that, that would... That would uh... Uh, that would that would be great, whatever. Maybe maybe I can do it like uh like my guy Joe Coy because one of the things I loved about Joe Coy, he um because he'd been in the game forever like thirty years. The first time he went to like Netflix, they was just like, oh well you well you're on my list, but no, no, no. And he was just like, you know what? Forget this. Took like a hundred thousand dollars of his own money, did his own special in Seattle called Live from Seattle, and then ended up selling it to Netflix. So then the next, yeah. So then the next one coming in hot, they gave him money to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sound like you need a GoFundMe. (laughs) (laughs) Let's get you going. Hey, 
Joe Coy came out to Camp Pendleton uh, too, Eric. I actually did get to meet him. So, oh, so, nice. oh you did? Oh man, I'm so Absolutely. just. Absolutely. You know what? It's so funny. Um, I, I wrote him a letter, like like the whole story that I told you about how I got, in, excuse me, uh, into stand up. I actually wrote him a a letter, and then I like never send it, like sent it. I might I might send to try to send it to him. Um, I think maybe I tried to email it once, but he'll probably read it now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, but I was thinking about maybe sending it to his like his DM and his Instagram, but you know, just me dealing with like my own shit. I don't want to seem like really like thirsty, but I really wanted him to know that uh, uh, what he did for me, how inspiration he was with me starting stand up, especially so late. Yeah. Hey, that that's your next challenge. Hit the send. Yeah, yeah. Just do it, man. People appreciate that because you know you don't you, you know you make people laugh and everything, but you never truly know how many people you actually touch and influence and inspire. And I think he will receive that as long as he gets it. He doesn't have a publicist or somebody in the way you know read it. I think yeah. he'll definitely take to it, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I know he's pretty active um, on his social. So, like, if I DM him and it doesn't get lost in like the thousands of other DMs, he must get. Yeah. whoever like read like like somebody like whether it's him or somebody from his team if they read it right, uh, right. if it's like somebody from seeing they read it you know they probably say oh that's pretty cool and show it to him yeah so hit send buddy <laughs> <laughs>